0: From KQED.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Has all the pandemic time in your home kitchen perfected your souffle? Or maybe you've realized it's possible to survive on just toast and chili sauce. For a lot of us, our cooking habits vacillated between unrealistically high culinary hopes and dispiritingly low food production. For me, i found that scrambling eggs with, like, literally anything in the fridge and tossing the result in a tortilla with some tapatillo is actually, well, it works. It's edible. <laughs> and we want to hear what you've been making, high art or simple pleasure, that's been getting you through. Joining us with some tips to talk about what she's been cooking and to argue about the value of lunch is Jessica Badalana. She's the home cooking columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and author of the cookbook Repertoire all the recipes you need. Welcome, JB.
1: Hey, how are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Um, Your book is all about sort of go-to recipes, like the stuff that you'll make over and over. So I want to know, throughout the pandemic, what do you think you've made the most times?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I write cookbooks for a living, and I write this home cooking column for the, the Chronicle. So in some ways when the pandemic hit, I felt like, you know, I was now's made- my time to shine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'd been in training my whole life for this moment. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people sort of were thrust into home cooking somewhat grudgingly. Um, that was not really the case for me because I love to cook and I, you know, almost cook probably every, almost every meal at home anyway. Um, but I was not immune to the like extreme boredom and frustration that that came from preparing, you know, every single thing that my family of four ate. Um, And I just feel like if if my kids ask for another snack, like ever again, it will be too soon. Um, So, you know, at, at a certain point, I think I got kind of boring about the things that I cooked and I made a lot of similar to your Scramble it all and put it in a tortilla. I made a lot of fried rice, uh-huh. which I feel like is maybe you know a spiritual ally to your um, <laughs> you know your sort of pantry <laughs> dish because it's like, you know we would always have leftover rice, any vegetable that's like dying in the crisper, um any like little bit of leftover meat, you know, united in a frying pan with some soy sauce. and you know, you've got a pretty good, meal for lunch or for dinner and one that my kids like and that you don't have to really
2: think too hard about do you have any tips (laughs) do you have any tips for a better fried rice like if you do if you like if you're like okay I am just gonna make fried rice like five days a week um like what are the tips for making taking that from being something where you're like oh yeah I'll eat it to like oh that's actually that's pretty good
1: okay well I'm glad you asked (laughs) I mean, everyone knows you need to have old rice, right? It's always, you know, if fresh rice gets too sticky and gummy. So you want like day old rice. Um, that is, you know, that's sort of the baseline of good fried rice. Um, I like to add um, bits of hot dog to my fried rice. Classy. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the, the key things you have to have in fried rice, as far as I'm concerned, is sc- like a scrambled up egg that you fry in the pan and then um, scallions. I feel like those are the two non-negotiables. But then from there, I mean, I do think the sort of like that delicious hot dog fat is really a nice improvement on on fried rice. I also, um, I really like adding some sort of like spicy kimchi in at the end, um, which I think makes it sort of exciting, but it could also be like I mean, I have added, I'm not too proud to say that I've added like sauerkraut instead of kimchi, just something that gives you that kind of like pickledy thing. Um, And then I feel like a chili condiment on top is kind of crucial. Um, But really any other vegetable, it's like everybody in the pool, you know, like half a dead carrot, like that, you know, chunk of cabbage that's sitting in your like crisper for six months. Like it all, you know, fried rice is the great equalizer.
2: Yeah. We're talking about home cooking during the pandemic with Jessica Badalana. She's the home cooking columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and author of Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. And we want to hear from you. What go-to meal has gotten you through the long months of the pandemic? How about this one? Have you tried one of the weird viral food trends? And how did that go for you? (laughs) Um, Call now. It's 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, of course, for this Friday cooking show. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or recipes to forum at KQED .org. And I do have to ask you about this, Jessica. I know you have a conflicted relationship with social media, but have you tried any of the viral like food trends that, that happen cloud bread or any of the other weird things?
1: I haven't done the feta pasta. I haven't done the cloud bread. I didn't even do that like foamy coffee thing. <laughs> um, I, you know, I didn't even make sourdough, actually. At the time, at the start of the pandemic, I was still living in the Bay Area. And I just felt like, I mean, I could take up sourdough making. I even helped Chad Robertson with his, one of his bread books. Like I, you know, I could do it, but then I also felt like with access to so much great bread in the Bay area, like why everyone, they would always be able to do it better than I could. Um, so I didn't even, I didn't even make bread. I didn't even make banana bread. I sort of, <laughs> I didn't like check any of the boxes of pandemic food bingo.
2: Right. I mean, it makes sense there. Most of the things are so gimmicky and it just feels like, is this food or is this like, uh, uh, like a hoax practically?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there is, you know, people like the novelty. And I think the, the less that you cook, the more you like novel things. I think if you are like a boots on the ground, like home cook that is cranking out, you know, two or three meals a day for your family, like, maybe like the, I don't know, maybe the, um, whatever the cloud bread holds more appeal, or maybe I'm just like a jaded jerk, but I, um, I felt like it was enough just to like keep it all rolling. And, and I, you know, I continued to work on, on cookbooks and, um, you know, and write my column all through this time. So in some ways, like I didn't really have the luxury of a lot of extra time to, um, I was going to say goof around, which is not fair. There's nothing wrong with goofing around, but I didn't have a lot of extra time to sort of explore the kind of faddish stuff that other people were, were trying out.
2: So um, we were having a debate as we were preparing for this show about lunch. And the question was, what is the value of lunch? Is it actually worth it to like do full on cooking? And your position is No.
1: Well, I couldn't believe it when you said that you will sometimes poach chicken just for lunch. I mean, that was a real mind blower for me. I, um, I, I try and do as little, well, first of all, let me back up. I think lunch is the worst meal of the day. Uh, I, my, my order of preference in terms of cooking meals, dinner first, breakfast second and lunch, like a very distant third. Like I don't I don't under, I mean, what's the point of lunch? Like, what's the point of expending a lot of energy on lunch? I guess I should say. Um, So, I mean, that was really like, I was really shook by your revelation about poaching chicken. I feel like I must stand up for the dignity
2: of the (laughs) midday meal now. Um,
1: I I, mean, it's, it's, I'm impressed. Maybe I'm just jealous. I just, um, I think I don't, because I devote like a disproportionate amount of my time and energy on dinner, that maybe it doesn't seem worth it to me to devote any energy to lunch. I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying it's the way it is in my house.
2: So given that your orientation is as a lunch hater, what are your sort of like, okay, let's get this over with, here's lunch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I should also say that for a period of three years, back when I lived in San Francisco, I was like a lunch cook at a school, so I mean I can do it. I I you know when like I like you that were the time, lunch
2: lady. You're saying
1: I was the lunch lady. So um, you know it was 260 hot lunches a day for you know kids between preschool and and um, and you know fifth grade. So I can do it, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I loved that job. I think it was like the best job I've ever had, honestly. Um, but at home there is a very um, I have a very strong reliance on leftovers. So I'm always hopeful that there'll be enough dinner. Although I don't know, my kids are growing so fast that I keep thinking like I make more and more dinner and they just, if they see more, they just eat more. So that is sort of (laughs) failing me. But in general, it will be like something reheated from the night before. I mean, if it's really tragic leftovers, I might, I might fry an egg or, or hard boil an egg to have with it. Uh, but often it's like, uh, a sort of picnic plate. I mean, that makes it even sound Team
2: leftovers. Your team leftovers. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Or like a handful of crackers followed by a handful of potato chips followed by an apple, you know, that sort of thing.
2: We're talking about home cooking during the pandemic. With Jessica Badalana, she's the home cooking columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and the author of Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. We want to know about your go-to meals. What's gotten you through the months of cooking at home? We also want to know, you can weigh in, is lunch worth cooking or are you a lunch hater? Last thing, now that it's fall, you got any winter comfort foods that you're beginning to go to? Give us a call now. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at KQED.org. Want to add listener Tani from San Francisco into the conversation? Welcome, Tani.
3: Hi, how are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for calling. My go-to meal also happens to be comfort food and is good for any meal of the day. I am a lunch lover. so Team lunch. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah. it's team lunch, yeah. It's shakshuka, which is just delicious and warm, and you can eat it for days, um, and it's good all the time.
2: So shakshuka, as I understand it, and Jessica, make sure to correct me. Right, we're talking tomatoes, we're talking peppers. Uh, dish originally from the Middle East, and then you kind of you crack eggs into it, and they cook right there in the tomatoey goodness. Right, Jessica?
1: Yeah, that's my that's that's the version I know. Yeah, now, and do you have
2: yeah? Do you have anything special? I mean, special I'm just curious. Does she
1: make this just for lunch?
2: Oh, Tani, do you I, make this just for lunch?
1: Yeah. I make
3: it for any meal. I, I make a big batch. I like to use fire roasted tomatoes and a lot of garlic and then keep it in the fridge and just pull it out and poach one egg. Warm up the sauce enough to oh. poach an egg in it and then eat it over toast or over rice with a little feta and
1: parsley. And it's just always good any time of day.
2: Oh, man. That's a hot tip, I think. <laughs> I
1: mean, the eggs are a real MVP, I think. you know, totally. an egg sort of legitimizes, you know, whatever else you have going on.
2: It's it's true. I mean, I think the one that I've really gone with a, a ton is just if we have rice, and I'm literally too lazy to make the fried rice, as you've been discussing, Jessica, we just call it eggy rice in our house. We just we heat up the rice, we crack an egg into it in the in the pan, and then we throw some chili sauce over the top. And yeah. I, I, I think mean, I've probably eaten that 400 times in the last two years.
1: And Eric Kim, the columnist for the New York Times, I mean, he just wrote his whole cooking column basically about this you know egg on on rice i mean and i think also you know we do uh cheater's deviled eggs in our house not for lunch but you know for other times where you hard boil an egg you slice it in half and you just smear mayonnaise <laughs> on the top of it uh you know <laughs> rather than like take out the yolk and mash it and put pipe it back in and I mean, you kind of get the same. It, obviously, it's like not as creamy and delicious as a true deviled egg. But, like, but it's still it eggs and mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eggs and mayonnaise. And it takes, you know, two seconds.
2: Yeah. Um, let's bring in uh, Grace from Sonoma. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi,
4: welcome. Hey, thanks for welcoming me.
2: What's your uh, go-to for so the pandemic? Yeah.
4: Yeah. So our go-to um, through the pandemic has been Homemade pizza. We always have a um, pre-made pizza crust, some mozzarella to grate, and we just do like a quick blender sauce, and then you can just put anything on it, and that that keeps our family happy.
2: Oh, and are you uh, are you the kind of family that has like a pizza stone, and you got that thing ready to go, or are you just you're just you're just tossing it on the cookie sheet and, and putting it in the oven?
3: You know what?
4: We have a cast iron um, flat pans. They're like cast iron crepe pans. And we use those for everything. And they they work really great for pizza. So you can roll out the dough and then um, stick them in the pan, nice and flat, and um, and you're good to go. You can par bake it if you want, you know, to have your crust like a little bit crispier.
2: Oh, man. That's a Good one, Grace. Um, Jessica, do you have any like pizza tips? And how, how do you feel better? Are you like, uh, why don't you just order pizza person? Or are you like at home pizza is amazing?
1: Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with ordering pizza. But then we moved. Well, we moved to the country. And so getting a pizza delivered is like a, a thing. Like it <laughs> will take, <laughs> take a long time and not arrive in great condition. But I started making actually quite a lot during the pandemic, maybe as much as fried rice even, I started doing King Arthur flowers recipe for crispy, cheesy pan pizza. If you search for it online, you'll find it. Um, it is a basically like a no need crust. You do have to let it sit in the fridge overnight, but you, you mix stuff together cover it, put it in the fridge, let it sit, and then um, you know spend maybe five minutes with it the next day in the pan. But it's baked actually in a cast iron skillet. And what you do is cheese first. So, you know, crust in the, or dough in the skillet, cheese on top, all the way like edge to edge, and then like dollops of sauce on top of that. And man, that has been a real game changer for my homemade pizza game because i felt like i could never get it crunchy enough this is for me i mean it's not like if you like thin crust pizza this is not gonna float your boat but this gives you like really caramelized crispy edges kind of like plush dough and then you know you can put whatever you want on it but um it also allows me to make um pizza like at scale because i have (laughs) an embarrassing number of cast iron pans and so you can make you know three or four pizzas at once in the oven so that you can feed everyone rather than like people waiting for you know to come out of the oven yeah
2: yeah um got a break coming up but we have a simple listener question here i have eight pounds of last crop of the season tomatoes can i make them into a soup without all the work of getting the skins off first if not what else can i do with them
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you could, you, um, well, there's two things you could do. If you, um, you cut them in half, you could roast them, you know, cut side down. And after they roast for a little while, the skins, you can just peel off super easily. Um, or if you had a food mill, you wouldn't even have to pick off the skins. You could just run that mixture through the food mill and the skins would, you know, get left behind. Um, you know, I mean, if you have a high powered enough blender, like a Vitamix, you could just whirl it skin and all. And then, um, you know, pass that through like a fine mesh sieve, um, you know, and then you have to cook it down a little bit, but I will share with you my mother's tip for the best tomato soup is that she would always, so she'd cook onions, garlic, the tomato puree, salt. That's pretty much it. And then shortly she'd let that simmer for maybe 20 minutes and then she would add Cream cheese to that mixture huh. and blend it. And I mean, I could just be nostalgic, but it, I always thought it was the best tomato soup. That's
2: so good. We're talking about home cooking during the pandemic with Jessica Badalana. She's the home cooking columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and the author of Repertoire All the Recipes You Need. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more forum
4: a rendezvous of strangers around a coffee a night
1: all the gypsy
4: hacks and
1: the insomniacs
4: now the paper's
1: been red
4: now the waitress said eggs and sauces and a side of toast a coffee and a roll hash browns
2: were easy chili and a bowl
0: Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about home cooking during the pandemic with Jessica Badalana. She writes about home cooking for the San Francisco Chronicle, and her book is all about it as well. It's called Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. You were lunch lady. We were talking earlier. You cooked, cooked lunch for hundreds of kids. And, of course, you have your own kids and have made lunches for them. And one thing I've heard uh, from the producers on this show, in my own mind, uh, from my wife, is, man, kid lunches are, can just feel like the bane of existence for a lot of parents. So what, what do you do for kid lunches, and, and how do you keep from going nuts?
1: Well, so you know, now my kids go to, to public school here. And I would say, you know, the lunch, the public school lunch here is not, I mean, they try, it's a lot of kids and it's not great. I would say from, you know, my perspective, it's not great, but my kids are kind of into it. And so even though I feel like I should be the mom that does the lunch and like makes the, I don't know, like bunny cutouts out of the bread and stuff. Like I am not that mom and I actually hate making them lunch. So I've been like actively encouraging them to eat, you know, school lunch. Um and so they most for the most part will will do that. Um I really dislike making lunch, particularly first thing in the morning. Like that is a real turnoff for me. Um, but you know, I mean, I do it, it's not, I just, uh, I, I don't think, well, I've already told you, I don't think it's just the most important meal of the day. (laughs) So I just try and sort of like, you know, I just try and, and solve the problem of them being hungry. So it's like, you know, it's a cup of yogurt. It's like a pack of seaweed. It's a sandwich. I mean, and one of my kids is in a, um, nut free classroom the one that loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is in the nut free classroom. Mm-hmm. Um so that's a little trickier. Like he doesn't really, they're not that into sandwiches. They don't want to take like leftover food that they think should be served hot, even though I've tried to like fried rice is good cold. You know, they're not they're not buying what I'm selling there. So it's not, I'm not like gonna win any awards and I'm not, I haven't started my like school
2: lunch Pinterest account, <laughs> you know.
1: Um, I know there's parents listening who do better than I do, for sure.
2: (laughs) Listener Anne writes, The pandemic made cooking an issue for me as a single parent with a young kid and full-time work from home. I love cooking, but it became a chore for the first time. I signed up for two community-supported fishery programs, and that led to a rhythm of homemade sushi, fish tacos with a vinegar slaw, and then homemade pizza dough, all fun to eat, for kids and adults, that's been awesome for both dinners and lunch leftovers. My five-year-old is now asking for leftover sushi for breakfast. Let's bring <laughs> in um, Mariana from Berkeley. Welcome to the show.
3: Hey, I just wanted to mention the uh, incredible help that pressure cookers can bring us. And I, being from Brazil, there we—you know—you grow up. And I think that my favorite recipes are foods like grains, like black beans that you can add vegetables to it, or you can add beef or sausage, whatever, which is kind of a traditional Brazilian food called feijoada. And so not only do pressure cookers reduce our time in the kitchen, but they save energy and they lock in ingredients. And you can make, pretty much anything in a pressure cooker. Not only, you know, cook beans and grains and things like that, but you can also uh, make uh, desserts or anything you like. It's just getting, getting used to the idea that, as opposed to the slow cooker, you have a fast cooker. And I'm not talking about the instant pot, even though, you know, there's a pressure uh, option in that. The regular pressure cooker and um, I think all of us benefit and definitely through the pandemic, I benefited a lot from using my
2: Fager pressure cooker. Yeah, thank you for that, Mariana. I I have an instant pot and I actually have found um, pressure cooking meat to be quite a joy um, in part because, <laughs> you know, that moment where you, you get, you know, it's like 430 and you're like, oh, man, I wish I had carnitas right now, you know, and then suddenly you realize like, oh, wait. I can because I have this pressure cooker and it's not going to take forever. Um, Jessica Badalana, I know you actually genuinely slow cook meats a lot. And I am curious um, how you've ended up feeling about, you know, Instant Pot and and pressure cooking generally.
1: I uh, I don't own either one. I don't really know why. There's no good reason. In fact, I was tempted to buy an Instant Pot recently, uh, really just because I love beans. Um, like, like the collar there, I'm definitely team bean. That's like between eggs and beans. I think you can like really do a lot. Um, and so my sister-in-law has one and she just dumped in some dried pinto beans and like an hour later they were ready to go. And I was like, this is something that I would use this appliance for. So I may, I may, I was going to say breakdown. There's not breakdown, but I may acquire one, um, Yeah. I think they're great. I think they're great. I think they're super handy. I know people also get nervous about, I mean, nobody leaves their house anymore, but in the olden (laughs) days, people would get nervous about leaving their oven on at a low temperature for a long time. So, you know, the pressure cooker, slow cookers solve for that problem too. Um, Yeah. The the one thing I did acquire uh, in the pandemic was a chest freezer I mean, and that's not for everyone. I get that that's, you know, it's like a country luxury, but that has been really great because I just feel like, you know, knowing that there there's always something in there, you know, (laughs) to pull out so you don't have to go to the store or um, so that's been and also you can store a lot of ice cream.
2: Where I grew up, a chest freezer was like, um, you'd have a deer mounted on the wall and then there'd be like two chest freezers with like all the venison. Um, that's- yeah, you've <laughs> arrived. Yeah, well, and was- you know,
1: we now, this is a bit of a non sequitur, but I buy our meat at the, the so the 4-H is, you know, the kids, it's a, it's a group for kids who wanna learn about farming and agriculture. Um, and so these 4-H kids here, um, I'm in Maine now, they raise these animals um, and then they're sold at this livestock auction that you can attend as a, a regular person and you bid on an animal and then you get all the meat from this animal that's been, you know, raised with love by these kids who are learning how to become farmers. So I feel like if you're a meat eater, it's like a win all around. Um, so last year we bought a pig that we split with my, my brother and sister-in-law. Um, and so that, you know, we had that meat to last us, you know, all year, which felt like a total luxury, just like down there in the chest freezer waiting for us.
2: Did you learn to cook anything new because you got sort of unusual parts of the of the pig?
1: Well, you know, I'm going to, so you, you buy the pig based on the live weight at the auction. Um, and then, you know, obviously the amount of meat you get is less than the live weight, but you've, you know, you've paid for all of it. So then I was like, well, if I've paid for all of it, you know, I'm going to take it all because I'll find something to do with it. Um, And I just actually this morning picked up this year's pig. And when I opened the chest freezer, I was, you know, I was greeted by the head of last year's pig that I took and planned to deal with and haven't yet, you know, gotten around to. So now it's go time. I've got to, got to deal with the head.
2: So here are some go-to meals that uh, listeners have written in with, and we'll just go, go through a bunch from here. Uh, Alana uh, says, I've made egg salad way more than I've ever made it in my life. Like fried rice, I add all kinds of crazy stuff, roasted sesame seeds, bonito flakes, canned corn, scallions, whatever's in the fridge, on bread, in a salad, with crackers. That's interesting one. Noel um, also uh, said, Indian lentil dolls. You can put in rice and veggies, different spices, different kinds of lentils. So versatile. David writes, I've honed my risotto. Such a comfort dish. Plus, I have invented a fish tartine for breakfast. Worthy bread, layer of cream cheese, sushi ginger, and leftover fish from the evening meal. And Jay says, Korean tofu stew. Let's bring in Lucas from Oakland. Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, yes. I was going to say soba. Not like the stir-fried soba I think we're used to, the buckwheat noodles, but actually soba soup with kayashi broth. It's pretty easy to make and very heartwarming and super delicious and amazing.
2: Wow. And you learned to make that just like during the pandemic as a kind of... uh... Um, you know, t- a task, like you said, like, I'm going to figure out how to make this, or you just kind of wanted to get into it?
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, some, it was like a Japanese street food book, but the, the broth is just so easy to make. You make this uh, soy sauce-based um, concentrated broth you can keep in the fridge for months, and then you can pretty easily whip up a nice broth. And then put you can put any kind of summer I mean winter vegetables you want in there. It can be pretty healthy like bok choy is the obvious stuff, but uh, steamed winter squash and that kind of thing. and um, yeah, you can make it vegetarian pretty easily and it really it definitely fills you up because it's a lot of warm uh, delicious transparent broth. <laughs> Yeah. That does
2: awesome. sound delicious. That does sound good. Eileen uh, <laughs> wanted to uh, share with us that it's really disheartening to always hear about the working from home crowd when I've had to work through this whole pandemic in, in person. Presumably. I wish I could have stayed home to cook. And I, I do, I, I take that uh, that criticism. It has been a, a privilege to be at home most of the time for me and, um and it is. I mean, I, the the it, now uh, Jessica, I don't know how you feel about this, but it seems like, wait, we used to go to an office every single day, come home and then have to cook. Like it it does seem um, somehow harder, even though it was the absolute most everyday thing in the world for for so long.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know, I'm certainly spoiled because I've worked at home for, you know, as long as I've worked pretty much. Um, and so you know, I, I do, I think about that a lot when I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's so easy to do X. And then, you know, you see people like blazing through the door at seven o'clock with like their kids, like hot on their heels. And it's not like, that is not easy or fun. Um, and I think, you know, part of what I thought about when I wrote my book too, was this idea of like, you know, how do you lean into these recipes that, you know, will become yours for life. Like instead of doing, you know, trying to think of dozens and dozens of things to make, just really get this sort of capsule collection that you can make, you know, week in week out and get good at. And I think not only do you get faster at making it, you get better at shopping for it. Um, You know, and I don't think like most people aren't sad about eating the same food every, you know, every week or two weeks, if you like master 10, you know, 10 meals, like you're you're pretty set for a month. Um, so yeah, you know, I thought of repertoire thing.
2: as like four working parents, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, then I wrote that when my kids were four and two and I felt like, Oh, like, now I get what people are talking about. Like I used to be able to go to four stores and we'd eat like at nine o'clock at night. Um, you know, and then I had little kids and I was like, this is not going to work, but the idea of having a family dinner is like one of the most important things to me, you know, of all the important things. So, you know, finding a way to make that possible in my life was like a sort of key tenant of, of becoming a parent. Um, but it did change the way that I, I cooked and the way that I thought about making dinner for sure.
2: Absolutely. Um, Melissa in San Francisco, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. You know, one of the things as a parent I have found is a trick to be the best parent on the planet <laughs> is to make a hot dog at breakfast time. And I wrap, I warm the bun
3: and the hot dog and I wrap it in those sheets of foil they have at Costco or wherever. And by lunchtime, it's still warm. And I have a kid who has a hot dog, and all the other kids are like, how'd you get a hot dog? <laughs> <And>
1: so, like, <laughs> hot dogs come.
3: Hot dogs come in packs of many. I'll make extra. And I'm like, Hey, hand some out to your friends. Because what am I going to do with all these leftover hot dogs?
1: And (laughs) You know, my friend Jenny did that. She came to visit this summer and our kids went to summer camp together. And I expressed how much I hated making lunch, you know, and for camp in the summer, there was no, you know, no bought lunch option. And she's like, you know what I do? I'll, I'll take over making lunch for the kids and she made them hot dogs, just like you describe. And I mean, another, like, like the poaching chicken. I mean, my mind was really blown.
2: (laughs) Um, Let's thank you for that. uh, Melissa. Let's bring in uh, Enrique from Gilroy. Welcome to the show, Enrique.
4: Hey, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. So the pandemic was interesting because I had become a stay at home parent just uh, the year before. And, My university son came home and he came home vegan, which is not our tradition being Mexican. And uh, my teacher is a high school teacher and my daughter was um, a high school student as well. So I joked that I became the abuela, the barista, the cafeteria lady, (laughs) sodium landscaper, handyman. But I love to cook. So it was it was actually a challenge. And a vegan is embracing. I was brought into the equation and also made it exciting. So one of the tri- t- uh, tips that I had was uh, beans, making them ahead of time and having them in the freezer. So that really helped a lot. Make, making what and ahead of time? Sorry got,
2: about that. I missed that, Enrique. Uh, oh, beans.
4: Beans. beans. Just uh, frijoles de la olla. So just regular beans uh, cooked uh, in in advance so that they could be ready on a moment to make uh, bean and cheese burritos and stuff like that. And, uh, The other hack I had is everybody talks about Costco chicken, but they also have Costco shredded chicken, which takes even one more step away. And then I had that ready for fajitas, tacos, uh, uh, chicken and rice, whatever. So those are the tips that I had.
2: Enrique, um, for me, I w- we were talking about uh, some leftover meals. And honestly, for me, if you can take the time like on the weekend to make mole poblano, like for me, every single meal for that week then is special. I put it on eggs. I eat it on my <laughs> whatever I put on the tortilla. I eat it for dinner. Like I can just keep that mole going for like a for at least a week. And um, at least in, in my fan, that was like. Uh, what we all loved. Um, so I, and I know
1: I, I bragged earlier about my chest freezer, but I do think, you know, his tip about freezing, be, you know, I, I think the freezer is an underutilized resource. Like you can freeze beans in their cooking liquid. You can freeze right cooked rice. Um, you know, you can freeze the leftover thing of buttermilk. Like the, the freezer then becomes like a real tool. If you like, you know, if you don't want to, I actually hate eating the same thing over and over and over, like day after day. But I love like reaching into the freezer and finding like a half a pint of pesto from you know I
2: like you're gonna say ice day. cream. And I was gonna say I do too.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I also love that. <laughs>
2: Um, Let me – we got a couple great uh, comments here. Melissa writes, uh, During the pandemic, I had to prepare meals for my pre-diabetic husband, my daughter who was recovering from an eating disorder, and my son who returned from college who was hungry all the time. It was so difficult to find recipes that appealed to everyone. I turned to Cooks Illustrated online, and that saved me. I also survived by incorporating whatever was in my CSA box. Now my son is back in school – My my daughter's back in school. My son has returned to college. I can finally take a breath. Johnny in Cupertino defends going big for lunch. My lunch is the biggest meal of the day. Contains right around 20 ingredients. We assemble seven servings every Sunday, and I thaw one each day in the microwave. I also don't have the time and energy to put an hour into cooking lunch every day, but by putting in the time in the evenings and on the weekends to have tons and tons of healthy choices ready to go... Go. I get the benefits without eating into my work schedule. Jessica Badalana, last just final last tip with our thirty seconds. Um, what's something that someone should ma- people should make from your uh, cookbook this weekend?
1: Oh gosh, uh, the cacio pepe, um, which is you know a, a pasta with pecorino cheese, parmesan cheese, black pepper, butter, delicious, simple, it uses things you have in your pantry. Um, The squash salad is really good this time of year. It's roasted squash and blue cheese, um, some nuts in there. That's like a nice thing to make. I don't know. I mean, you've seen the book. What's your favorite
2: thing? That's perfect. Oh, the meatballs. They should make them. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Jessica Badalana. She's the home cooking columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Forum is produced by Tina Lauberg, Susan Britton, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, and Grace Wan. Judy Campbell is lead producer for the 9 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Ng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with guest host April Dambosky.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation.